The non-monetary compensation exception under the Stark Law is so broad, confusing, and complicated to operationalize that it deserves another episode. Captain Integrity Production and the law firm of Nelson Mullins presents Stark Integrity, the Stark Law and Compliance Podcast. Stark Integrity explores the world of the Stark Law and healthcare compliance with our nationally recognized Stark Law, Fraud, and Compliance Attorney, Bob Wade. Bob has a national healthcare legal and compliance practice that focuses on the minions of the Anti-Kickback Statute, False Claims Act, and the Stark Law, including fair market value and commercial reasonableness. Although Bob is a law partner in the national law firm of Nelson Mullins, the views expressed in Stark Integrity are Bob's personal views and not the views of the firm, and they are not intended to be legal advice. Now, without further ado, I give you Captain Integrity, Bob Wade. Welcome to Stark Integrity, the Stark Law and Compliance Podcast. My name is Bob Wade, and I am your host. Well, this is another episode of Stark Integrity focusing on the non-monetary compensation exception. And in the one of my previous episodes where I discussed in detail the non-monetary compensation exception, I went through a series of examples, and it was a rather long episode, and this one I don't believe is going to be as long. But uh, during the lifetime of Stark Integrity, the podcast, I am confident that I will be discussing the non-monetary compensation exception, primarily because when you look at most of the major settlements, usually besides real estate, and I'll talk about real estate uh, in future episodes, but non-monetary compensation is usually a component of those settlements or some of the allegations of the quitam relator. So uh, just to recap, first off, uh, non-monetary compensation, the focus is on items that are not cash or not cash equivalents. And again, as I stated in the previous episode, a gift certificate or gift card that is not redeemable for cash, in my opinion, is not a cash equivalent. But if it is redeemable for cash, then it could be construed to be a cash equivalent. Next, you have to look at the annual limit. And for 2021, the annual limit is $429. And for 2022, it's $452. But if you're listening to this episode outside of 2022, you just need to go to the CMS website and they have the updates. You also need to look at whether the medical staff incidental benefit exception applies. And as we discussed previously, you can give unlimited number of benefits to a physician as long as the item or benefit is used or consumed on the hospital campus. And for 2021, the value of each item or benefit is $37. For 2022, it's $39. Also look at other exceptions to see whether the non-monetary compensation can fit within another exception, like the employment exception for W-2 employees or for 1099 independent contractors if there is... Uh, an arrangement that would be covered by the personal services arrangement or the fair market value exception. Remember, if you inadvertently exceed the annual threshold, you have 180 days after the receipt by the referring physician to obtain the excess value over the annual limit or 
the end of the calendar year, which obviously makes holidays very challenging uh, because then you only have about six days in order to receive the excess value back. Next is that it is a gold practice, and I would say it is almost necessary that you track the non-monetary compensation that is being provided in order to ensure that you're below the limit. And also you focus primarily on the value of the benefit being given to the physician. Now, one of the things that I want to uh, emphasize about the tracking is that usually that's warehoused in the finance department uh, because the finance department is the department that usually reimburses executives for uh, their expenses, and that's when you may find a lot of the non-monetary uh, compensation, especially business dinners and the like, uh, that those would be noticed by the finance department. But it needs to have compliance oversight uh, with respect to the process. And one other recommendation that I will make that I used when I was in-house, instead of tracking every logoed pen, pad of paper, and those type of things that I think we could classify as marketing trinkets, we allocated to every physician on the medical staff $50, and it all depends on the size of your organization and your marketing efforts, but $50 out of the annual cap that would apply to these what I would call marketing trinkets. And that, to me, would be a good faith effort on behalf of the hospital or DHS entity in order to appropriately monitor those type of items uh, so that way you don't have to track every single pen and mug and piece of paper and other type of things that have some value to the referring physicians. So in the previous ep episode, I went through a series of, ex of actual examples, and I'm going to continue with that in this episode. So the next example is that the hospital provides food for its medical executive committee during meetings in the hospital's conference room. Now, that's, that's important, the location of the meeting, because if it is in the walls of the hospital, and obviously the physicians are there to serve the purpose of the hospital, then, assuming that we have to meet the non-monetary compensation exception, this will fit within the medical staff incidental benefit exception, not have to fit within the non-monetary compensation exception. It'll fit within the medical staff incidental benefit exception with the assumption that the mills uh, are lower than the per-benefit uh, maximum that CMS has, has established. And again, in 2021, it's $37. In 2022, it's $39. But alternatively, let me just shift the facts a little bit and say that that uh, that medical executive committee meeting took place in a local restaurant. Well, you cannot use the medical staff incidental benefit because it's no longer being consumed within the walls of the hospital. Now, I hear some of you say, but Bob, we're using medical staff dollars, and the dollars are generated from the physicians through their dues. Well, technically, the dollars that are usually allocated to the medical staff from the medical staff dues are just dollars that are restricted in their use, but they're still hospital dollars uh, for the most part. Now, there are some exceptions to this, and sometimes I have to get behind the issues uh, with my clients, like is the medical staff separately incorporated? And if they're separately incorporated, obviously, then they're 
the medical staff dollars and not the hospital. But at the bottom line is if the hospital went bankrupt, would those dollars be subject to a bankruptcy court? And for the most part, the medical staff dollars are, they're just restricted. So even if the medical staff dollars are used to purchase either the meals in the hospital or at a local restaurant, then at the local restaurant, you'll have to fit within the non-monetary compensation exception. If you're within the walls of the hospital, then you can fit within the medical staff incidental benefit exception. The next example is, let's say that you have a referring physician who is a member of the hospital's board of trustees, and the board is having a meeting at some warm destination. Let's say it's a meeting in Florida for a northern located hospital, and the hospital is paying for the board member's expenses, including hotel and food and transportation, as well as that of their spouses. Well, arguably, all of those dollars are benefits to the physician. Um, obviously, the hospital would advocate that there it's a benefit to the hospital because they need to have that physician at the retreat in order to be involved with the retreat with the other board members. Uh, but the physician is receiving a benefit for those services, which is compensation. And so literally those expenses would have to fit within the medicals, the non-monetary compensation exception. However, uh, you could also have a contract with that physician. And in consideration for the services of the physician serving on the board of trustees, it's recognized that items or services or benefits will be provided to a physician similarly with the other board members and that that those items or services like the retreat at a, a Florida destination will be in consideration for the services rendered by the physician to the hospital. But to fit within the personal services arrangement exception or the fair market value exception, it requires that the arrangement be in writing and signed by the parties. And I think I stated this in my previous episode, I'll state it here again, that I have a template, what I call, I will work for food contract, where it's a one-page agreement where the physician will sign to say, in consideration for the performance of X services, that hospital will provide benefits that are consistent with benefits provided to the other board members. So there's a way that you can get around that. And then with respect to the spouse, the spouse's immediate family member of the referring physician has their own annual limit. And therefore, you would need to have a contract with either the spouse or you can actually have that as part of the overall contract with the physician. So that way that the spouse would not need to have a separate contract. Next example is that a physician receives a $500 watch at a retirement party. Well, a couple ways that we can look at this is, first off, uh, you could say that the physician, if this is really at the point of retirement, the physician is no longer going to be referring DHS, and so therefore the Stark Law would not apply. Or you could allocate a certain portion of the medical staff dues for retirement uh, gifts and benefits as noted. And so therefore, you could say that that is a direct contribution from the physicians and not necessarily uh, the hospital itself. Next, talking about uh, taking food into a physician office. So the hospital's intake department or coordinator, and all hospitals have intake coordinators, they meet with a physician office that has four physicians and 10 support staff. 
and they bring subs, chips, sodas, and let's say that the total value for the, the 14 is about $250. Well, there's three ways that you can look at this. The, uh, the most conservative way is, and I always go back to the but for, but for the physician office being a referral source, the inpatient intake coordinator would not be meeting and bringing lunch to that office. So you could say, well, that's you know not a divisible benefit that's being provided, so therefore $250 would have to be allocated to each physician. I don't believe that that's the best way to analyze this. The other two ways to analyze this, one is more conservative and one is more aggressive. The more conservative one is you take that 250 and you divide that by the four physicians in that office. So the result would be $62.50 per physician. The other way you can allocate this, if you can say that there is a benefit directly for the support staff, because you need to have the support staff on board, you take the 250 and you divide that by the 14 people. And that result is $17.86. And so $17.86 would be divided would be allocated to each of the four physicians in that practice. Now, again, I've just emphasized here that there's different ways to look at this. And a lot of times it's whether or not you are on the offense or defense. If you can get your arms around these issues at the beginning, you can hopefully take a more conservative approach. But if you're on a defensive side, there are other strategies that I think are reasonable and defensible. So next, a physician is given a $200 honorarium to make a continuing medical education presentation for the hospital's medical staff. The physician or presenter is a member of the hospital's medical staff. Well, you can have a contract with that physician and fit within the personal services arrangement exception or the fair market value exception. But if you don't, then the $200 would have to fit within the non-monetary compensation. Or as I've referenced in previous episodes, we have the $5,000 limited remuneration to a physician exception that could apply. And this could apply because there's actual services that are being rendered by the physician making the honorarium. And obviously that exception, the, the limited remuneration to a physician exception requires services at fair market value. The next example is that the hospital makes a $1,000 donation to a local charity in the honor of Dr. Jones, the medical staff president. Well, here I would advocate that this is a 100% hospital donation to the charity. They happen to link it through the name of the medical staff president, but I think that that is a name only. The, the medical staff president is probably not receiving any direct benefit, and therefore I would say that that donation is not compensation because it does not meet the remuneration definition under the Stark Law. Next one, and this is a big one. Uh, at a hospital holiday party, a $150 eye touch is raffled off. The doctors do not need to pay to participate, just they need to show up and they're each given a chance to win this $150 eye touch. Now, under the medical staff incidental benefit exception, uh, as well as the non-monetary compensation exception, you can have one holiday or medical staff 
event per year. So if you do it on doctor's day, you do it for a holiday party, you can have one event per year and the costs and expenses like the rental of the space and the food, if there's entertainment like a band or such, that would not have to be allocated. But obviously anytime that you uh, raffle something off, that's a separate item and therefore you would have to uh, apply that to a separate Stark Law exception. Now there's an aggressive and also a conservative approach to this. The aggressive approach is, just like the lottery, everybody has a chance. And if there's 150 physicians who show up, then the value is $1 per per physician because every physician has a chance to win. Now, the winner is um, for that $150, you may have to account for that under the non-monetary compensation exception for the entire value of that benefit. However, I, I have analyzed these before where I just take the number of participants and divide the value of the prize by the number of, of participants. The next example is that a referring and independent physician speaks at a community health seminar sponsored by the hospital. Well, the physician's receiving some benefit because the physician can market their services, so therefore I do believe that a, a value needs to be assessed for that benefit and apply that to the non-monetary compensation exception unless you can fit that also within the personal services arrangement or fair market value exception with one of those one-page agreements, which is how I would recommend that you uh, handle that. Next is a recruitment dinner that a physician actually participates at a local restaurant on the recruitment of a, of a physician. Again, I would say that here, since it's in a local restaurant, unless you have a contract with that physician, that the cost or value of that meal that's allocated to that physician will need to apply to the non-monetary compensation exceptions. Next, you uh, provide, the hospital provides monogrammed scrubs given to physicians by the hospital, and the cost is $150. Well, there, there are two ways to look at this. One is you can fit this within the non-monetary compensation exception by applying $150 to each referring physician, or you could say that we are expecting our physicians to wear either the lab coat or the scrubs, and so therefore, if we're expecting that, then we can say that there's a per-use or per day value to that and fit that within the medical staff incidental benefit exception. Next is the medical staff president is paid $10,000 for services as the president of the medical staff. And here, the $10,000 would obviously exceed the annual limit under the non-monetary compensation, as well as its cash. And so therefore it would not fit within the non-monetary compensation. And with the assumption that $10,000 is the hospital or are the hospital dollars, then that $10,000 would have to either as an independent contractor be based under the uh, the personal services arrangement exception or fair market value exception, which re would require it in writing, signed by the parties, fair market value, et cetera. Or if the physician is a W-2 employee, it could fit within the employment exception, which uh, absent directed referrals, uh, that uh, employment arrangement does not need to be in writing. And the last live example that I have for you is let's assume that the hospital purchases a large piece of equipment. And as part of the equipment purchase, uh, the hospital has the right to send one physician to an out-of-state 
customer service training session. And usually at those uh, training sessions, the physician does get wined and dined. And let's assume that we can analyze that out-of-state training that the hospital is giving to one of its physicians. Again, I'm assuming this is an independent physician. The value of that would have to be either uh, allocated under the non-monetary compensation exception uh, with assuming that it's not cash. It's you know, They're going to receive the training, the travel expenses, et cetera, but I'm assuming we're going to blow way past the annual limit. So in that case, I, I do believe that you have to fit, if it's a 1099 independent contractor under the personal services arrangement exception, or fair market value exception. If the physician is a W-2 employee, then that arrangement should fit within the employment exception. Obviously, under the personal services arrangement or fair market value exception, then we'll need to make sure that the items or services that are referenced are in writing and signed by the party. So that's the, the major issue there. So now the three Captain Integrity Punch Points, Captain Integrity Punch Point number one, and I'm going to repeat this from the previous episode, and that is you need to track non-monetary compensation uh, in order to defend the organization from any type of challenge that it has violated the Stark Law through non-monetary compensation. So you need to have some type of operational way to monitor non-monetary compensation and allocate it to all of the physicians on your medical staff. And if there are various exceptions, like you have other independent contractors or employment arrangements, then you can analyze those as the, as the non-monetary compensation is being provided. Captain Integrity punch point number two is it may be a good practice just to allocate a certain dollar amount to what I call marketing trinkets. So that way you don't have to get into the minutia of monitoring every logoed pen and piece of paper that's provided to a referring physician. And finally, Captain Integrity punch point number three, and I've had huge issues with this when I was uh, in-house, is that business dinners are considered to be compensation for the physician. And so from a business dinner perspective, either you fit it within their current independent contractor or employment arrangement, or you establish a separate contractual arrangement with the physician specifically for that dinner. Again, the I will work for food. Or you're going to have to account for it under the non-monetary compensation exception. So you'd have to fit within the annual limit. Or lastly, you can bring the food into the hospital. And even if it's coming from a local restaurant, bring the food into the hospital and meet with the physician in a conference room. And then you can fit within the medical staff incidental benefit exception. I hope you enjoyed this episode of Stark Integrity, the Stark Law and Compliance Podcast. If you have any questions regarding this episode, the Stark Law, or healthcare compliance, you can contact me at bobwadecaptainintegrity at gmail.com or my law firm email address at bob.wade at nelsonmullins.com. You can review this and any other episode of Stark Integrity at the Captain Integrity website at captainintegrity.com. You can also follow me on LinkedIn under Bob Wade. I hope the three Captain Integrity Punch Points will help you with the Stark Law and compliance. In closing, remember that integrity depends on you and me.